What's up everybody, this is Elliot Terrell, and you're listening to Magical Thinking, brought to you by artofmagic.com. Our guest for this episode is Alex Hansford, a young British magician who was over in the States to sell his new notes, his spritzature notes, to hang out with his family and his friends out here in the States, do a couple lectures, and basically just, you know, live his life. Couple quick things about this episode, I was sick and was coughing a bit, clearing my throat, sniffling a little bit. So I hope that's not too annoying. And I know you're going to enjoy the conversation that Alex and I had. It was very much a conversation, more so than I think a lot of the other episodes have been. And I do a lot of talking. As a matter of fact, about halfway through, it kind of seems like Alex is interviewing me. That's fine. It turned out great. And we cover a lot of really interesting things. I certainly enjoyed re-listening to it as I was editing and I think you guys will enjoy it as well. We cover what it's like to be young and travel the world and the gumption that you need to do that. We talk about style and sprezzatura specifically, since those are the names of his notes, and we get into it in the podcast, what that is. We talk a lot about philosophy. It's kind of an existential episode. We talk about the importance of soft sleight of hand, and there's a portion of the episode where we talk about women in magic and kind of the inherent misogyny that is within the community. Makes for a really fun listen, a very interesting listen. Alex is great. He's got a new project coming out on Art of Magic very soon that he filmed while he was down here in San Diego, and I know you guys are going to love it. If you haven't already, follow us on all the social media channels, facebook.com slash a sense of mystery and slash magical thinking podcast to stay up to date with us and with the site. Instagram.com slash Treasury of Wonder and Magical Thinking Podcast. Join our newsletter so that you know exactly when Aussie Wins' new trick comes out. It's called Gypsy Queen. Hint, hint, that should be out tomorrow. And if it's not out tomorrow, it'll be out next week. But it's amazing, and you're definitely going to want to pick it up in time for the holidays. That's about it. Email me at podcast at artofmagic.com to let me know what you think. And enjoy Alex Hansford. Hey, Darlene. Where's my beer? What is the story behind that? Um, I there's this there's this um no cards. No cards. No cards. <laughs> there's this artist called uh, Dylan Francis. Have you heard of him? He's a he's um he creates electronic music, EDM, I, pretty much. I I think I've heard the name Dylan Francis. I'm not familiar with his music. Okay. He um he does a lot of stories on Snapchat, and I'm not actually following him, but he has compiled his stories into like a video, and then yeah. he posts that to Facebook. So that's how I see them, and they're really funny. Yeah. Anyway, he did this one accent, and he it was deep south, and he said, "Well, I guess it can't be that deep south, but it was towards the south," and he was saying Darlene as a name of his wife. So and do I it. copy do that. that. Do the voice. Well, I think I always <laughs> did that accent, but he attributed, he like ascribed Darlene as this imaginary wife character of his. So yeah. I stole that. You adopted Darlene? Yeah. Okay. So he didn't do the voice? He did. He oh, did. okay. Okay. Uh, not the same, but okay. similar cartoony type yeah. South. A caricature of the South. Yeah. 
Yeah, there you go. Okay, so do the voice. <laughs> hey, hey, Darlene, where's my beer? I thought I told you three hours ago to get me a beer. But there's... It's pretty good. Well... It's pre- it sounds like people I know. Really? For real, yeah. Really? Yeah. That's fascinating. Some people have told me that it, yeah, it's just very cartoony. It is very cartoony. Okay. But, and yes. But I lived in a cartoony place. Yes, I live, I knew very cartoony, very cartoony people. Well, well, actually, I know a cartoony English person. Oh, yeah? Believe it or believe it not. Who is it? He, um, you won't know him. He doesn't do magic or anything, so. um, What's cartoony about him? His accent's actually frightfully, like, (laughs) so I used to joke with my, an old roommate of mine. Yeah. Um. And he, like, who could do the posher accent? And it would be like, he sort of started the competition because he would do it. And then I would be like, oh, that's really, really hilarious. Let me try. So Is it like, like just really aggressive received pronunciation? Uh, no, so it's like, um, how would I describe it? It's like the voice oozes this sort of rich... Uh, public school sort of uh-huh. like okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try and please try and please. Do, uh, I say, oh boy, what a <laughs> today. And I have to, you have to go a bit quieter because it's yeah yeah. I don't really, know. you really got really rich. You, it's so. very rich and velvety, and you have to close your mouth and you have to speak out of the hollow of the tongue mm. in the back of your throat. Mm. Yeah. I say, old boy, this is an absolutely stunning glass of scotch you have here. That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, That's he, pretty fun. He does it an awful... It's like, it's like it, it, feels, it, it feels like uh, what you would imagine, like, a British boating yacht club mm. kind of sound. That really posh, uh, snooty kind of... I yeah. have the in my mind. I have an image of a guy in a like a green, dark green velvet uh-huh. um, dinner jacket. Yeah, and uh, not it's not called Ascot, is it? Like the yeah, but like really sort of like a really high one. pronounced yeah. Ascot. Yeah. Oh, still an Ascot. Yes. Okay. Well, then, yeah. And he's got a pipe and slippers, probably, and yeah, in my mind. So he's like, okay, yeah. He's like a British Hugh Hefner. Maybe. maybe kind of. Uh, maybe, maybe. Maybe not the prime. Maybe, may, maybe, maybe, not in, the maybe, in the, maybe in the prime. Maybe in the prime. <laughs> Let me just take back everything. I <laughs> um, huh? Yeah, it's important to think about... I think it's important to think about the person whose voice you're doing. Like, what? what's the voice that fits that character? We were kind of talking about that earlier when I was telling you about what colors I think sounds are. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's just about creating that, that right context. Hmm. You know, what is the character whose voice is it? Like, you have a very pronounced image of a man, hmm. and that's the voice that you're doing. But, well, maybe I've just attributed that to hearing other people do accents really well. And then that's the immediate image that comes to my mind. So oh. perhaps then, I guess, me thinking of that might some way in my mind it's like mind. a touchstone that helps you yeah get help the me channel 
trying to replicate them, which oftentimes doesn't work. Because... Well, it's like a self-completing circle then at that point. Because it's doing what I said, even though you're starting from a different position. I guess so, yeah. You know. No? Kind of. Well, I never. Voices are fun. Mm-hmm. If I weren't fighting off a, a raspy voice right now, I would try and do it. I think your voice generally sounds like if you get if you get a sore throat, and then the first day of it being sore is not so good, but the day after that, when your voice is like crackly and croaky, and yeah, it sounds really good. <laughs> Don't you think? I mean, has I do. I do. Complimented you on it. Uh, not like not past? mine. Okay, uh, but I do. I do like the way that. I do like that raspy sort of voice now that you mention it. I uh, first was told it when I did a show at the, one of the brunch sessions at the castle. Oh, and, yeah. Um, because, yeah, I guess I was too young to... Whatever. Anyway, I was only allowed in during the daytime. Sure. And, um, yeah, the, and then the people that I left with, they were like, you know, you're... Speaking. Your voice uh, sounds sounds great. Like I thought it sounded awful, and then they said it sounded great. When I had this horrible this cold. raspiness, yeah. Yeah. I just sound like I just sound like uh, a coughing, annoying child. But you you huh. have a very you have a deeper British accent that's just like. I guess regularly that was probably just it, wasn't much it? better. The than, accent also probably played in into. I'm yeah. sure it played a small role, at least. Large role. 100%. Large role. <laughs> 95%. No, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, my I, my voice is... Uh, I'm not crazy about it. And it sucks that I have to edit this dang podcast. <laughs> and you listen to it a lot, hey. Yeah. But I think after a while... I think a lot of people are uncomfortable hearing their own voice, initially. Yes. But if you're around it a lot, or if you're... I've, I've certainly gotten used to it. It doesn't yeah. bother me like it used to. Uh but I still it's still displeasing I still would rather not <laughs> you know um, I wonder I wonder if it's going to hit the point where I really like it it becomes like so maybe masturbatory that I'm like really into well listening to my own podcast I don't know if masturbatory is the word it is well I'm wondering if it will hit the point where it is like self-satisfying, self-gratifying to listen to my own voice. I hope it doesn't hmm. get to that point. You hope it doesn't. Yeah, I hope it Why? does not. Because, because uh, that's like that's too much ego. Where uh, like I have to have, I like I have to boost my ego. You're gonna be listening to your own podcasts on your way to <laughs> places. Yeah, I would rather not do podcasts. that. And <laughs> I, I have started doing that. Uh, but not to hear me. I mm-hmm. like I was listening to the Simon, which last week's episode, the Simon Cornell episode, because I couldn't remember anything we talked about, and I was oh. like, "What do we talk about?" I remember it being really interesting, and so I was listening to it to think about what Simon was saying. Because then I can listen to it passively and just not hear myself. I'm just listening to Simon. Yeah. Um, Whereas in comparison to this, we spent three hours talking about. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> riveting yeah i know well so you're in the states for what reason good question um initially i like to say that it's because of the weather because (laughs) right now in the uk the weather is 
is bleak. And I think that that does play into it. Like, I think a lot of people have, like, season... It's called seasonal affective disorder, isn't it? Yes. Where you're happy in the sun and you're sad when it's rain and... Dreary. What it's like in the UK 90% of the time. Yeah. (laughs) But also... So I went to... I've been to other places where it's been still overcast and grey, but it... I don't know, it seemed a bit more austere and there was more to it. So it wasn't... it wasn't depressing in any way. It's just like, after a while, that really, that gets to me. The weather. Like the drizzly rain where it's not even proper rain. It's just like... Misting uh, on you constantly. Yeah. yeah. But my uncle lives in LA. So it was sort of, you know, I could come and stay. And we get along really, really well. So it's always so fun. And yeah, it's never like a... I don't know. It doesn't feel like staying with a member of, of the family. It sure. just feels like a friend. So that's great. Yeah. And I'm sure it helps that he lives on the other side of the planet. And, well, yeah. 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 No, I mean, that's the only, that's the only reason I stay in touch with him is because... <laughs> <laughs> well, not quite. But, yeah, I mean, he lives in a beautiful part of the world. And um, the times I've visited before, this time I wanted it to be more of like... Um, I don't know, authentic, maybe you would say, or real. So, like, when I've visited before, it's been with family, and we've done all the touristy sort of stuff. Whereas this time, I've gotten to get to know some locals, and, like, you guys, and, yeah, I guess get to know the the twins a bit more, Mm -hmm. just through being here for an extended period of time. Yeah. More than, you know, not coming with family. But also, yeah, just hanging out and... um, so seeing Franco and hanging out with him and just, uh, yeah, not necessarily having an agenda of like, okay, I've got to tick so many boxes of touristy things that I, or things that I want to see or do. It's just sort of like, yeah, taking it as it comes. Ideally, I'll, yeah, sell some booklets that I've written <laughs> as a method of, you know, eating. But other than that, I could go back home broke. That's fine. Yeah, that's what... <coughs> ah, excuse me, listeners. That's going to get annoying real fast. Um, that's something that I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, just over the last few hours and the conversations that we've had, you talk about traveling and kind of living in the moment and not worrying about, you know, saving up any money. You said you used uh, the phrase hand-to-mouth, mm. you know, and so... What, <laughs> where are you in your life that you feel comfortable doing that as a 22 year old person? This isn't even necessarily magic related, just like what, no, sure. what's the um, inspiration for that? I don't know. I was lucky to travel, so I took a what's called a gap year in the UK, which is very, very common over there. It is common, yeah. I hear not so much over here. A lot of people just go straight to university or don't go to university. Um, and I was, yeah, fortunate enough to do a bit of traveling then. And I would, like, work a regular job, and I did that for about three months and saved up and then went traveling and came back and worked for three months to pay off. My mum loaned me some money. But it was... I really... Yeah, I love to meet people, and there's a lot... That sort of... Forgive me for going on so many tangents because I feel like I talk Let's like this a lot. Let's do all of them. Okay. <laughs> it's not like we're in a hurry. I feel like 
and and you probably have experienced this as well. You you have like a sphere of your comfort zone, I guess. Mm-hmm. And when you travel or when you visit somewhere that's sort of like you're not clearly not comfortable. Yeah. Or you don't even have to travel, but when you expand your comfort zone, that sphere sort of goes like this, and I or expands to this. <laughs> uh, and I feel like with travel, it's like you. S- the parallel I would make is maybe to the Matrix, uh-huh. where I don't know who made this this analogy, but I think it's a really good analogy. So, when Neo is unplugged, uh-huh. and they they find him and they bring him into the real world, you can go back into the Matrix, and they do. That's uh-huh. the plot of the. That is movie. the plot of the film. <laughs> but like you, you'll never fully be back there because you know that there's this other level. Right? Yeah, <clears throat> and I think traveling is similar to that in that you, once you like dip your toe in the water of, I don't know, seeing somewhere that's a different culture or, um, yeah, just different. Then yeah. you're like, well, what else is that? It puts your own experiences in a different perspective. Yeah, yeah, and I think, and yeah, even coming back home is is much. You know, I appreciate that much more, having gone away, because, yeah, it's a joy to go away, but also to come back and see, I don't know, you just appreciate where you're from a bit more. Yeah. As well. And so the, and, but trying, so the other analogy to the Matrix is like, Neo trying to explain that to someone who's not been woken up, like, oh, there's an, you don't believe me, but there's another world and you, there's this thing in the back of your neck that you just you need to get it out and you'll have you know you'll see it all for what it is you're considered crazy or insane or whatever and perhaps okay the parallel isn't you know oh you should travel oh no you're insane yes it's more like they just perhaps people who haven't traveled don't quite grasp the the um, value of it and not to say that you can't be completely content in the place that you are and I have a lot of friends like that. And yes. that's very admirable because you, yeah, perhaps you subscribe to constantly wanting more. And like, if you don't step on that ladder, then yeah, you, you don't. I mean, you step on the ladder, you'll never reach the top, right? Because it's a constant like, oh, more, 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 blah, 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 blah. Sure. Especially in like youth, I imagine. <laughs> if I was to ge- make a massive generalization. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I've had the the, the fortune to uh, grow up in a family that loved to travel and experience new things and different cultures, and uh, it, you you are sort of you know this is interesting. I've never really thought about that, but I just kind of assume that the more you travel, the more cultures that you take in, the more you empathize with a greater amount of people, but. Now that I'm thinking about that, that's not always necessarily true. Because, like, I traveled with my parents. You know, we went to Europe. Mm -hmm. We went to uh, Central America and Canada. and They're still kind of (laughs) close-minded, which is weird. I, I never really have made that connection until just now. That travel didn't impact them the way it impacted me. And maybe that's because, uh, you know, I I had people in my life 
that kind of explained what the purpose of travel was. It wasn't to go see the tourist sites. It was to go experience what other people experience, to go walk in another person's shoes. Mm. And I had that, that, so I was lucky that my parents liked to travel, but I didn't get my love of travel from them necessarily, which is interesting. Okay, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. But so would you say your parents just liked to holiday? Yes. Okay. <laughs> because, yeah, you can, I think you can go somewhere, <coughs> not really, like your mind just stays where you were. Yeah, and that feels like going somewhere without a purpose. That's like, we're going to go here to go to Disneyland. Okay. Great. Yeah. But that's like... Maybe like Disneyland Paris, and you just speak English the whole time, and yeah, you're in a resort, and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's a make-believe world. It's not like you're not going to experience what other people experience. Huh. It's interesting. I've never thought about that before. But anyway, you like to do that. You you like to go out and experience what other people experience and then come home and... Well... Yeah, I said earlier, like, I would love... You know, I like the feeling of it being just like a holiday or everything being like a holiday. And well, that's different in the, like... That's a different kind of thing. Being well, on holiday... Being on holiday isn't bad, but treating something as... Okay, yeah. Yeah. Right. Non-educational. Right. Well, I mean, you can still learn stuff on holiday, can't you, Elliot? Yes, you can. That's what I'm saying. Is like, I would go on holiday and I would learn things, but my parents wouldn't. Oh. That's what I'm saying. It's like, it's a... Oh, okay. We're just having a semantic oh, misunderstanding. Yeah, right. Okay. So the duality of the w- word holiday. Yes. Forgive me. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not to be construed as... Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm with you. Okay. Um. Yeah, this is... That's why we have the word vacation. Right. There you go, you're nipping in the bud. Uh, There's a book by Rolf Potts called Vagabonding. Have you heard of it? I have not. Okay. Um, I think it... I like the title of it a lot. Yeah, I think it has a bit on the side of pretentiousness. And he... (laughs) I think in some of the things he says, he's actually quite scathing of just, like, people who don't travel. I mean, it's like... I mean, travel, I enjoy it personally, but I'm not going to tell other people, like, you know, in, to be honest, some sort of kind of harsh ways that you're, what you're, you're living life wrong. Yeah. Like, I have the answers. Yeah. This is the things you're meant to be doing. And, yeah, he, it's, I think it's clear from the book, he doesn't perhaps value, um, or, or values differently, I should say, long-term relationships to a lot of people. Yeah. So, um... That's another thing. In meeting people from all over the place, it's like I have a lot of close friends, but at times it can be kind of isolating because they're not like here. Yes. Yeah. So I studied abroad for a year and met a lot of people. It was like a yeah melting pot. We were in a um, international dorm, and then after that year, everyone goes back to their home countries, right? And it's like we were yeah we were very close for that time, and then now. Um, highly likely that I'll never see all of them together again. Yeah. Like, I can see them individually, and I have done. And um, it's just... It's kind of strange. But then you can just put... I guess you can put um, more time into friendships that you have, like, that are actually in your area, and, you know, that's still, still absolutely workable. Whereas for Rolf Potts, in his book, he probably 
is very used to meeting someone for a couple of weeks. I mean, in hostels, even like a week or a couple of days even, and then never seeing them again. Yeah. And that's fine because you can, I think you can develop like a very intense relationship with someone very quickly in those sorts of environments. Those sorts of environments are fascinating because you go in with the expectation of no expectations. So you, you go in meeting someone who's in kind of the same places. I mean, they're staying in a hostel, right? They're not going to be there for long. Mm. Neither are you. You meet this person, and there's no expectations. There's no time for judgment or pretension. It's just mm. if you get along with somebody, hey, we can connect on a super deep level because we'll never see each other again. There's no consequences of having a really intense, emotional, deep human connection just for these few days because we'll never see each other again it's not a big deal you know that's how i feel yeah maybe but i like i really like being vulnerable and unguarded and like connecting with people because i think that's what humanity is about that really is what is intriguing to me and that's what i think is is interesting about magic is that you hit this place you hit this nerve that nothing else really does which is astonishment and it it has the potential of being very powerful and very um, opening for people. Yeah, I think that's quite rare as well. Like the you were saying about being unguarded and actually having a connection with someone. I think that's becoming more and more rare. Like in in two thousand sixteen. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I don't. I I'm I'm not sure that I agree with that. Okay, go on. Um. I think I'm also not sure that I disagree with it. I am not informed well right. enough to agree or disagree. But my gut reaction is, I think there's a yearning for it okay. because of how popular things like podcasts are. You know, This American Life is national public radio uh, out of Chicago, but it's like consistently the most. Um, <clears throat> the most downloaded thing every week for whatever and that's generally a story it's a it's a narrative driven by people giving very emotionally open and raw accounts of one thing or another and you know some of my favorite podcasts the ones that have changed my life have been very emotional and raw and it's it's like you're just sitting in a room with two people talking for a couple of hours Mm. much like what we're doing now and i think because they're so popular there's a yearning for it i so i don't know that that's translating into the real world um, where people are are consuming it and then going out and doing it themselves but i would i would think it have would have to have some impact yeah that's that's really interesting the parallel that you draw because even now, like I'm thinking of some podcasts that, yeah, it's quite the same. Yeah. Like the interviewer has gotten to, yeah, to a really deep part of this person's um, being, and then yeah, yeah, they talk about that, and yeah, it's exposed absolutely. But yeah, I, it's to be seen whether it, um, uh, yeah, I also don't know enough whether it translates in the real world. Yeah, you know, I I think is interesting is, I think people are more they want to connect more but they're more hesitant to like they're more guarded just because information is so easily shared now mm-hmm. people are afraid of being vulnerable but they want it more so maybe podcasts are so 
popular and things like them are so popular like you know the biggest YouTube stars are people that started out talking about their lives um, hmm. so maybe that is so popular because people aren't doing it for themselves and it's a way to mirror this this interaction that they want it's a, it's a way to, to experience vicariously the things that they wish they were doing okay that's plausible that's what this look this is what the podcast is <laughs> is me just bullshitting about random stuff that I have no idea what I'm talking about okay so feel free to jump on in <laughs> <laughs> yeah no comment I think you said it all okay well let's get back to magic then <laughs> um, so yeah we talked a little bit about the gumption that you need to get up and go and travel places mm-hmm. um, where do you want to go next Mm. So you're leaving the States. You've been here for a month. You're going yeah. back in a couple of days, yeah. back to the UK, mm-hmm. back to London, mm-hmm. you know, and then stay there as a holiday. Well, let's get back to that. What do you mean you like to, to stay on holiday? Well, or are you, so, you kind of, yeah. I don't know, just like knowing that it has some end point, perhaps. Yeah. Or knowing that that's not it for forever. And it's a probably very naive and very young sort of yeah naive let's say th- way of looking at the world yeah but you can afford to do that right now because right now, yeah. whatever you can be naive for a bit yeah I hope yeah <laughs> um yeah so yeah to be honest like I have no idea what I'm doing but yeah. so I just graduated and yeah what does it feel like to not have any idea what you're doing I think there are days of it being pretty daunting, like terrifying, but yeah. also I I rationalize it. I don't know if I'm rationalizing it correctly, but I rationalize it that everyone, like no one has any idea what's going on. I agree. And <laughs> so, you know, you you just yeah tell yourself something about the world and then go do it for a bit fine you know yeah yeah or yeah. someone tells you like you have a boss and they what's, tell you what to do what's you know, really whatever. the worst that could happen yeah you know you could die okay everybody's gonna die at some point what's the next worst thing that could happen if you don't break any laws you can't go to jail like yeah i just think at the end of the day at the end of the day that's how i'm just saying how <laughs> i rationalize things like what's the worst thing that could happen someone right. tells you no okay Go on and continue with the rest of your life. Who cares? Mm. You know, that's why rationalize. Yeah, right. You're still going to be here. Yeah. Like, the likelihood is that the worst thing, okay, except for death, the worst thing imaginable isn't going to kill you. Like, it'll be horrible. But even then, like, it's only horrible because you perceive it to be horrible. Well, yeah, I mean, but that's difficult to dissociate yourself from. So it could be absolutely horrible. It is difficult. But you would, you, Elliot, you'd still be here. Yes, that's true. You know, and so there's probably so there's this book by George Orwell called Down and Out in Paris and London. Have you heard of it? I have heard of it. Have I've you never read, read it. I've okay. never read it. It it was I really enjoyed it. It was sort of like a he tells the story of when he was down and out in Paris and London. Great. And um, that's like when they say that the title of the movie and the trailer for the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the character says Skyfall. <laughs> it's like, well, okay. Yeah. Okay, so down and down, Paris alone. He, um, yeah, so he was homeless 
in he worked in um in a hotel yeah in the restaurant of a hotel in Paris and um yeah he's got some interesting quips about what it was like at the time of him doing that and um you know like the fancier the hotel usually the worse or the grubbier behind the scenes it was yeah and um yeah just so he says something about how i don't know what he'd feared all all along was this poverty like he was completely 100% broke he had nothing to his name no food and i don't think any shelter even for one night and the following morning he was like this was like the wolves are at the door or the wolves are here in fact and this is what I feared all this time and what everyone fears of course like yeah ab- abject poverty and the and yeah he was still he was still there like he was starving and he was in a bad way but he was you know lived to fight another day and then from and then became there, George Orwell right you know yeah well, that's the thing is like I it, that's how I justify it like for myself, and I am obviously, and I'm not totally unaware of this, but I'm speaking from a place of great privilege as mm-hmm. a white cis male. Uh, but, you know, I was also raised to believe by a lot of people, not just my parents, but like if, if you try hard, you won't fail. Like you get to decide if you fail or not. And of course, that's uh, like I, I I understand the place of privilege from which I'm speaking, but that's how I justify things for myself. Is like the worst thing that could happen is I'm homeless and I'm on the street. Mm-hmm. I I I have luckily been well educated enough that I could I could get a job. I know like how to get free shelter, and I know that there are places that help people that are, you know, like, I I know that there are tools to then build my life back up if that were ever a thing that I had to experience. Mm. And it would be super hard. But the worst thing that could happen is I don't have anything. But I still have my mind and my faculties. Mm. So, you know. Yeah, I wonder if we, like, a quick to, like, in 2016, if we quick to chastise ourselves for being, like, privileged or yeah. In this, you know, and of course we absolutely are, you yeah. know, in comparison to a lot of people. But, you know, like this is the only life, this is the only experience of life I will ever have. Yes. Through this. Yeah. You know, been privileged and, you know, lucky enough to have all of these fantastic things that I completely take for granted. But, sure. you know, that's, that's, that's just all how you is. know. Yeah. So. Yeah. I just I just didn't want it to sound like I was uh, okay. oblivious to the mm. very real struggles that I have never and will never face sure. because of the color of the skin and my genitalia. I just didn't want to sound yeah. like I was oblivious to those things. No. Cool. Uh, so being a white dude's great. <laughs> uh, it's like that Louis C.K. bit. He's like, if you got to, if there was reincarnation, like. And you got to choose what you were reincarnated as. Why would you ever choose not a white guy? He's like, yeah, I'll have, th- I'll take this again, please. Um, anyway, okay, so uh, traveling and and just not being afraid of going out and doing things. Well, or just being terrified all the time, and then just I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know. Using just, that as a motivating factor. Yeah, I just want to know how you job. feel because mm, mm-hmm. like. 
<coughs> uh, sorry, listeners. I want to know how you feel because, I mean, I, I told you earlier, my plan was to get up and move to the UK, and I didn't do that, and I packed my car, and I drove out west, mm. you know, and I, there, I, I was never afraid. I was never scared. I was just like, okay, this is my life now. Now this, like, it seems like a dramatic life shift to one week being like, yeah, I'm gonna move to the UK, and literally the next week being like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drive to California and live there now. Yeah, that sounds incredibly dramatic. Uh, but it wasn't. No, you didn't feel it. No, not at all. Well, you just knew that, weird? that that was what you needed to do yeah I, I guess I was just wait, not even that I knew that that's what I needed to do I was like this is what I'm doing hmm. I don't know what I need to do I mean like right. I, I have a ton of things I'm working on and projects I'm pursuing and I'm building friendships and I really like the people that I'm around and I enjoy what I'm doing so I guess this is what I'm supposed to be doing like that whole like do what you're supposed find what you're supposed to be doing it's like I like what I'm doing I enjoy it. If this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing, how am I supposed to know? <laughs> you know. Yeah, like, but sometimes you feel like there is a certain feeling towards something. Sure. Like, huh? This I don't know why, but this feels right. Yeah, yeah. And you didn't. And, really... and I've I've had those feelings before, but not in relation to that. It right. was like it was more of a it was more of a kind of like what's the worst thing that could happen. Mm. Like, for me, the worst thing that could happen is, like, I move out to California, and it sucks, and I hate it, and, okay, I move back in with my parents, and I get a cushy marketing job in New York after, you know, six months or whatever. Right. You know. And that's, of course, like, very optimistic and probably very naive, but it's also not out of the question. It reminds me of, um, so I was speaking to Dave a while back about... He mentioned this idea, and I don't know if he's spoken to you about it, about like throwing your hat. Have you heard this phrase? Yes. So you throw your hat over the wall, and then you have to climb the wall to to get your hat. Go get your hat. Yeah. Or, or in Indiana Jones, ducking and rolling under the thing, and then reaching back and grabbing your hat. Oh. Okay. It's not quite the same okay. thing, but that's what it makes me think of. So go ahead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I've not made that connection, but okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, about how you sort of. Do something that puts yourself out in some way. And then you have to follow through. Yeah, you just have to follow through, sink or swim. Yeah. So, in a way, for me, it was a little experiment coming here. Yeah. Was just like, buy the ticket, and then I know that I'm definitely going. And I'm going to be there from this date to this day. And yes, worst comes to worst. I just stay inside and, I don't know, eat rice (laughs) with my uncle. Which wouldn't... You know, it wouldn't be but, awful. Yeah, but that's—I think—that's the best way to. I mean, I—I've talked to so many people. I'm a—I'm a like a chronic procrastinator. Mm. So like, I have to have a deadline. I have to have a thing that makes me do something. And the easiest thing to do is to pull the trigger on a plan and then figure out how you're going to follow through with it. Okay. So I totally agree. Like, buy the tickets and then, like, okay, I'm committed to that. That's what I'm doing now. That's now my goal and my purpose. Right. For, and for me, I wanted to write something in the before I left. Yeah. And then, yeah. I don't know. And you were able to do that. And, yeah. And it went well. I had the right? deadline. Exactly. And, yeah. And it was... 
And that's, I think, the first time that I've ever had like a self-imposed deadline and it's actually something's worked out because always it's been like a tentative deadline. Like, yes, you could put it in writing and everything, but with something like a move, so like, you know, you moving over yeah. here, it's, I think that solidifies it a bit more, maybe. Sure. I don't know, I'm still working it out, but I think, you know, I've seen success in this, in this example, at least. Yeah. Um, well, so tell people who you are, who made it 40 minutes in and don't know who you are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Crikey. 40 minutes? <laughs> Who's going to want to listen to it? We ha- we've not talked about magic at all. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> um, my name is Alex Hansford, and I have done magic for about 11 years. Uh-huh. And... I created Girdle and Hessian, which are currently on Art of Magic. Yeah. And yeah, just do card tricks. I recently graduated with a maths degree. Um, yeah, I did some competitions when I was younger. I, don't, I mean, I don't know what's going to drop <laughs> anyone's memory. Of- no, that's great. No. So, uh, yeah, Alex is an artist on artofmagic.com. He's got two of the coolest things on the site. No. Oh. Um, Please. <laughs> soon to be, soon to be, uh, adding a new project to to the collection. Mm, very exciting. So that's very exciting. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, you you're 22. You've been doing magic for 11 years. How'd you get into it? I much the same as probably everyone. I had a set for Christmas. It was all toys. None of it was cards. Um, magic set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why you were laughing. Well, no, just just the idea that they're toys and not magic. Oh, okay, props. yeah. Well, no, I I, like sponges I, and sure, yeah. The no, I knew what you meant. Vase yeah, vase. Um, then you I say went, a vase or vase? I I said it vase, but I meant to say vase because over in the UK we say vase. Yeah, but you said ball and vase because because it's an American trick, I guess. And I <laughs> I don't know why I said vase actually. That's real messed up. Because because ball and vase is one word, it's like okay possibly. ball and vase. <laughs> ball and vase. Ball and vase. Give me one of them ball and vases. No, yeah, I'm not going to. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna do the rest of podcasts like this. Yeah. <laughs> no, so you got a you got the set as a kid at Christmas. And, okay, and I went to a New Year's Eve party and. The fa- a family friend taught me a force, like a card force. Yeah. And I would write down the name of a card, fold it up on a piece of paper, and um, do the force, and then, amazing. Uh, yeah, but I think it was great getting even more attention than you already do at 11 from yeah. my family or whatever <laughs> at this New Year's Eve party. And he gave me a couple of books, and he recommended going to visit the local magic shop. There was a magic shop in Plymouth. And, um, yeah, the rest, I think, was, I, so I started entering competitions a couple of years in, and, um, I think that was very instrumental in nurturing this, like, setting a goal and then working towards it. Because, again, you had a deadline of the, the competition, right? Yeah. And I went crazy with this IBM competition when I was, I think, 16, and, yeah, scripted it and yeah had the deadline and 
I think I started scripting like a year in advance and I, yeah, I just saw it as like a goal and then just went crazy and practiced a lot. And it was like, it was a great act. It was a good act. Yeah. <laughs> if I do say so myself. And yeah, I, it showed. It do, was, you have, do you have video of the act? I no, but I did find video footage of me performing at like 14. Oh wow. And that was, it was really strange. Yeah. Because I get, yeah. Yeah, it was it was just weird. Was, My voice hadn't it? broken. Yeah. Um, it was performing for like a school, uh-huh. so there were I don't know a hundred pe- hundred pupils or something in the audience. So, and I was trying to do close up magic, and it didn't. Like some of the stuff worked because it was more at that at that time I wasn't just doing cards; I was doing other things as well. And it and it you know it went down well, and everyone loved it. But it was just this kind of strange because I, yeah, I mean I haven't. S- and maybe I saw it once when they first gave me the the CD. Yeah. When I when I was fourteen, and then lost until twenty two. So yeah, it was. It How was, did you come upon the disc? I don't oh, know. How was it found? You know, maybe. I think I found it one Christmas, and then I made a digital copy of it, and now it's on my laptop forever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know what the point was of saying all that. Well, it's just getting into magic and yeah. <coughs> so yeah, the long and short of it being, I found competitions very helpful in yeah nurturing my excitement for for magic and for yeah wanting to be better. I think the point of diminishing returns is perhaps very comes very soon in magic, and um, a lot of people like once you can do a certain thing. Okay, so you have to work proficiency to actually do the move. And then perhaps another level to make it look like you're not doing the move. And then you're done. But I think the additional work that goes in in, the, in like another two years worth of work onto that slide versus the first month's worth of work, the difference in perhaps your reaction for the people that you're doing it for is so probably nominal that it's I yeah. can see a lot of people just it's like well why would you put two years worth of work you just do it for a month and then yeah on to the next thing yeah but I just I think st- like a um, conscious you know studied endeavor in anything is is worthwhile and I think it just they people have a sixth sense for that I think when someone has like really lived with something yeah yeah and they, they're just, you know, you can just tell that they're great. Or even if they're not, you know, I can't remember who it was, but someone said to me that you can sort of tell that someone is really good at something without, you, they, they as a person get to a point where they don't even have to be associated with the object or doing anything with that specific thing or in that, talking about that certain topic, but you can just tell that they're, knowledgeable or really you know heavily into something yeah and care about something a lot what do you think that is what do you think that that is do you think it's like a a countenance or the way you carry yourself or uh, just a gaze I don't know yeah I don't know maybe it's a gaze maybe I think it's probably a number of things but one yeah if you had to attribute to like the most 
I think I think people that have spent ten thousand hours and that's it's not an arbitrary number, that's the Malcolm Gladwell outliers number. But I think people that have spent a whole lot of time on something, uh <clears throat> it doesn't matter what their age is, but they have a wisdom. You know, they they seem older than they are. You know, there's this kind of <clears throat> I think it's 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 just like a mutual respect for information in general and 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 mm. conversation in general too. So so the fact that you are um, you feel somebody you can tell somebody's good at something, it's because they are good at something and you're picking up on them appreciating the conversation. Maybe yeah, or, maybe or, that's or, it. Or really understanding or really taking Perhaps, I don't know, maybe. What do you think? Perhaps we get more of an affinity for that when we personally have put a lot of work in. Yeah, yeah, like maybe we so. We have more of an affinity for picking that up in yeah, others, yeah. picking up on that in others. It's sympathetic. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that that's interesting. That might be true as well. And it probably is true. Or at least it is very plausible. Hmm. Um, I don't know. For some reason today I'm, I'm very... Uh, I guess maybe it's because I'm sick, but I'm very, like, quick to defend myself. Maybe that's true. <laughs> like, normally I'd be like, yeah, that's a, that's what it is. But tonight, I guess, I'm just a little cagey. Yeah, I wa- and I wonder about that as well. Like, should I have more, like, stoic opinions or more, like, aggressively stated opinions on things? Yeah. Like... Because that makes for interesting conversation, doesn't it? It does make for interesting conversation. Yeah. Nah. Well, and it's weird because, like, you know, we're practically the same age. And Mm. there are people that are listening to this right now who are twice our age. Okay. Right? I mean, they're not listening to it at this moment. But, you know, when they're listening to it now, they're hearing us talk about them right now. And they either... They know a lot more than we do, probably, about a lot of topics. Maybe not necessarily Absolutely. about magic. They may be new into magic. But it's this weird thing. And so, like, I am constantly struggling with the, the no, like, I, I, a thought that pops into my head once a day is, like, who am I to say this? Who am I to make this call or this judgment or this standard this opinion i'm 23 years old i'm a kid from north louisiana in a Mm. town nobody's ever heard of like who am i to make this decision right but also it goes back to like that's all you know and we can't i don't think we should punish ourselves for yeah i mean it's naivety right yeah we're allowed to be naive surely i know but that's what i'm saying is like i certainly you know, if but what I'm saying right now is this is this is on this is going to be recorded and it's going to be mm-hmm. put on the internet. Yeah, and I'm going to put it in a newsletter and it's going to go to tens of thousands of people. Wow, to listen to it, and you know, I I run a magic website and I have final say over everything that right. goes on our site. So like. That's the kind of thing where I'm going. Who am I to say that that should be a different color, or that that should have a different font, or that I that I can say that this is or is not true? Yeah. When I made that comment, I was operating out of just like a mere mortal sort of <laughs> mindset, as opposed to someone 
Yeah, but this is what I'm saying. Is like you, you're kind of in the same boat. Uh, you just wrote a set of notes on on magic huh. tricks and theory. You know, you're going around lecturing and touring and telling people how to do magic. Right. You know, and my my what I would say to myself if I was in your position is like, who am I to say all this stuff? Mm. True. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. To which I then argue against myself. Well. Here's all the experience I've had. Here's all the research I've done. Here's all the knowledge I've combined from all of my friends and family and resources. And, you know, these are the decisions I've made that have done well. And this is my, you know, basically my curricula vitae. Mm. And I can go, yeah, I'm, I'm capable and qualified to make these decisions. Mm. But I'm still a yeah. 23-year-old kid from North Louisiana. Yeah, and it's a weird dichotomy that I battle with on the inside. Do I, I'm, I'm, I said all that to say this: Do you feel that way at all, ever? So I, in <clears throat> I think it might be. What's Darren Brown's other book? Not Pure Effect, or is that the only one? <laughs> um, there is another one. He just came out with the book Happy, but that's not really no, magic. not that one. But uh, what my is... friend says that it's fantastic. Though he's currently reading. It. Oh, I'd love to read it. Yeah. Um, I, I can't Pure Effect is not the only one I don't think um, well maybe it is even in Pure Effect but he says anyway <laughs> he says something like at the beginning you know <clears throat> I'm sure I'll look back on this and cringe but right now yeah. you know I hate to be preachy and hopefully it doesn't come across as preachy but you know right now this is how I feel and um, we're allowed to be I mean I'm Paraphrasing, yeah, perhaps course. changing yeah. it a little sure. bit. But the gist I got from it, if nothing else, was that, you know, you're allowed to have opinions at any stage and also allowed to then hearken back to them in a year's time or six months' time, even three months, whatever, yeah. and say, yeah, I thought I knew what was going on, but now I really know. By these notes. <laughs> <laughs> By these notes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and that's something that I, I think. Uh, can never be stressed enough is that it there's there's constantly a path you know you can always grow you can always learn more mm. be better educated more informed more well informed you know. you know maybe it's too much of people saying who am i to think these things at this age because because perhaps as a culture we've been told like you know yeah to have the thought who am i to be yeah. blah 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 and then you start conforming to society's like norms yeah. and as you said earlier like supposed to like what are you supposed to do yeah at 2010 what are you supposed to do when you just finish university yeah yeah no that's a great point it comes well, you know what pretty, what do you do when it, when it's yeah that's that's fascinating so now so now what do we do if we're operating under the assumption that we're allowed to have our thoughts and our feelings and we can be as preachy and high horsey as we want to be mm. what, yeah. do we, what do we now well, tell people I think there are ways of saying everything right so you don't have to be so outwardly don't have to talk like this <laughs> that's, that's pretty that, good that's the American version of okay yeah it did sort of of your British family version. <clears throat> yeah you can you can have your opinion but there's yeah there are softer ways of delivering it yeah. Oh no, of course. Yeah. And certain people, yeah. Come I was just taking mind. it to the logical extreme. <laughs> right. No, I mean we can we can do that. Why not? No, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. I mean I. 
You restate what you were going to say. Sorry. I don't know what I was going to say. Okay. What's the logical extreme? <laughs> well, you know, just taking it from who am I to say this to then saying, well, I can say whatever it is I need to say. What mm-hmm. do I say? Uh, this is, you know, don't wear a daggum playing card necktie for one, <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, yeah, but that's just common sense, isn't it? It is. <laughs> you would think it would be, right? Well, okay, <clears throat> let's talk about your notes, because the title is Sprezzatura, which is an Italian term that I have come to understand is the art of appearing nonchalant. I think so, yeah. Or, yeah, like a studied carelessness. Yeah. So thought has definitely gone into... So, yeah, it's I know of it in reference to style. Or Me too. People dressing yeah. up and dressing the, nicely. The Italian, yes. the Italian style. And that is very, just like in a phrase, it doesn't seem like they're trying at all. Yes. And yet they look so well put together. Yes. It's just, yeah. Perhaps there's a certain thing that's not perfect. So a lot of the people with their ties, perhaps the tie is slightly like... Slightly ruffled or one of their monk straps isn't buckled or, you know, the pocket square is very... I've seen it. Really? Yeah. The pocket square is like... That would be unkept. I think... Just, just the one, though. You think? Yeah. I, I, you're like a shambles. No, no. If you're like, no, they're not only wearing a single. It's not just like they're in swimming trunks and monk shorts. Like in okay. Full. I'm picturing like a bronze Italian man with like dark coiffed hair and like a keyhole spectacles, and mm. you know, like a like a, a tan wool silk cashmere blend suit that's got like a nice window pane check that's maybe in like a dark brown he's wearing like a blue pocket square and a, a tie with a prince edward knot and you know super tight white widespread collar shirt wow matching trousers and then like his mug straps are unbuckled hmm and his name is Domenica. sure <laughs> we'll go but he's got that. bracelets on he's got a you know like a Cartier tank uh, yeah. huh that's that's yeah wow. that's what I'm picturing right there a lot of those references I didn't get but I get the idea the idea okay. of the image yeah. Well, yeah oh sure so anyway yeah and so perhaps it's like a very I I didn't want it to be too pretentious of a title even though I mean all the things we've just gone through probably leading it to pretty <laughs> pretentious but well we're allowed to be pretentious we just decided that we can be pretentious well I guess but that's why I put the word chat or chatting on the front cover and I thought that really sort of dulls it took it down a yeah, notch. yeah not a lot but you humbled yourself yeah. a bit sure well I want to yeah yeah um so but so the idea is is a studied effortlessness mm. or like an art which doesn't appear to be an art sure or yeah effortless effectiveness mm-hmm. which the Japanese word for it is shibumi really yeah Anyway, go ahead. Didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, so like thought has clearly gone into the work. It's just perhaps then made to look like no there's no thought about it. Okay. Probably more so in performance than in like <laughs> re plot or <laughs> something. Than in method. Yeah. Well so yeah, explain well, this guy it. I not thought about it at all. <laughs> so talk about your performance style a little bit so that people can get a context for that idea. Mm-hmm. So, 
there's this there's this thing that I've been doing lately where you square a card into the pack and create a break, but it's actually what I've coined. Well, I don't think I coined it, but called a micro break. So it's just a very very fine break, and it looks to all intents and purposes that you're not holding a break just because it's so fine. And also, the way the cards are being held is, in my eyes, pretty casual way. I've, I've shown you. You have not. I've not seen it. I think. Okay, well, no. you are in for a trick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, te- I mean, a break, you know, is such a fundamental thing, and technically you can get away with, you know, having your entire... Driving a truck through it. Right. Yeah. And it, you know, I guess, you know, it'll work, and you could misdirect heavily and it won't be seen, but just perhaps thinking a bit more about it and trying to push it to like what would it look like if there was no break perhaps or how would I hold the cards if I wasn't concerned about break and how would I behave if I wasn't concerned about yeah and maybe that's it someone mentioned to me earlier about like the tension and how it just perhaps it just doesn't I guess it doesn't seem so present in what I'm doing so I, I like to use a lot of palms that are perhaps like I never full palm a card it's always like a lateral palm or tenkai palm or something like that where the cut there are considerable angles that you need to handle and I guess I've just done that a lot and yeah. like actually perform it for, for real people that I don't know I'm just a little more comfortable with it yeah. than, but your hand is more relaxed there's less tension in it yeah. because you're not fully palming a card right I'm and like with yeah point. and with the steels <clears throat> how some people um would palm a card and yeah like their entire arm locks up and yeah you know it's very clear what's happening or but you something's can, going on yeah you can also apply the same amount of studying practice to palming a card though and have it be effortless true so yeah. totally but anyway you've done it with palms where you started out ahead basically lateral ball tenkai your fingers are natural and like yeah you've already got that Less amount of tension. Well, maybe it's just like a an, a different attitude towards doing perhaps things that are um, considered to be difficult or considered to be angly or whatever. I think that puts a lot of people off, and I don't think it necessarily should. My attitude initially is like, yes, okay, they see how it's done, hypothetically. Let's say you don't do it so well, or it's the first time or whatever, and the, the audience sees how it's done. That's, you know, for me, that's okay. You just, worst comes to worst, you never have to see them again. Like you can yeah. move it's like being to a different hostile. country. Or, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we care an awful lot about what we're doing. And so we don't want to mess up. And yeah. we care about their reaction. We care about the audience having a good time. And that's why we get nervous. Yeah. But, but in the grand scheme of things, one performance for a couple of people, don't <laughs> let that stop you from making your magic as a whole better down the road. I think so, yeah. yeah. And just and again, the attitude towards difficult stuff, it doesn't need, necessarily need to be angly or anything, but just doing difficult things. Um, yeah, I think just one performance even of something that you've been practicing and have you know, you hear a lot of people say, oh, I would never perform this for people or I never perform it to, to lay people. And it's great magic. Yeah. And it's like, why don't you, why don't you perform that for people? Um, because I think even just one performance 
to a real audience and you can see that it does actually work you know yeah. the methods are methods for a reason and I think not only the confidence boost that you get but also the I don't know the mental little switch that must go on yeah. of like you know maybe this stuff does work yeah and then again it's like expanding like as soon as you start doing some difficult stuff or some bold stuff like for example card under box like just that regular palm to that load I was terrified about doing it the first time and I thought it was never going to work and um, the first couple of times I absolutely didn't yeah but, and that's the sort of thing that you can't practice really in the mirror yeah you have to have the audience in order to know how to direct the attention you have to know how the tides flow right yeah I think of it very much as an ocean like tide comes in tide goes or the wave comes in and it breaks and another one comes in but it's it basically an in and out motion hmm. and that's kind of that liquid feel is how your interaction with the audience is and when the tide is out that's when their attention is not based on you know whatever the move is you're about to do and that's when you do the move and then when their attention comes back in you know those are kind of the off beats huh, I've not and thought then, of that yeah. yeah that's kind of how it feels to me is the, the ocean swell that's a great analogy yeah. So that load under the box, I'm thinking of it with a bottle, card under glass. Okay, or, yeah. Or a cup or something. Quite the same. Mm-hmm. That happens when the tide is out, or when the, when the wave is out. You know, that's in well, an offbeat kind of place. There's this book called Magic and Showmanship by Henning Nelms. Henning Nelms. Yeah. yeah. Do you, you know? You've yes, read a bit of it? it's great. Okay. Yeah. And I think I read that while I was practicing for competitions, and it really introduced <clears throat> me to structure and dramatic tension and whatever, and... Also, there's a chapter on directing attention uh-huh. and, and misdirection. I think they go in, in hand in hand. And yeah, that, that was, I mean, it was great for me because it taught me things like, you know, just looking at something. If you, as the performer, look at something, the audience is going to look at it. Or if you gesture towards something. And it's cool to just play with these little things that I guess are the majority of people would never think of. Yeah. You know, like, how do you get someone to look somewhere? Well, so the thing that you have to think about is, like, when you're talking to somebody, most of the time you aren't looking at them when you're talking to them. You're looking around the room, and you're, you know, you're, like, bouncing around a little bit as you're recalling things and just thinking. Like, I'm doing it with you right now. I'm not looking at you the whole time. I'm looking around the room. And Mm -hmm. that's what people do. Mm Mm-hmm. So in your magic, you have to understand the difference between just looking at something and looking at something with intention to direct something. So like if I was looking at you right now mm-hmm. and you glanced at the door like it was important, I'd probably turn around to be like, what was he looking at? But I can tell when your eyes are wandering and roving and when you have intentionality about something. Like you looked at something rather than just seeing something. Yeah. And that's kind of a thing that you have to play with in your magic because... You know, just looking at something isn't enough, mm. right? You have to actually think about how they're perceiving you looking at something. Yeah, and it's a it's a body language thing. It's a you know it's a facial structure and movement kind of thing. There's like a lot of levels to this this sort of thing. Uh, but anyway, go ahead. So you you read about that in in uh, Magic and Showmanship. Yeah. No. No. Going back to what you just said, it's it's sort of. Brings the image of like this person who maybe knows one trick, or maybe more than that, they know like one slight or one move. Yeah. And they're often, more often than not, I would say, like very conscious of looking you dead in the eye. Like when 
So yes. Elliot, you're the yeah. magician, and I'm the guy who knows one slight. And yeah. I'm very conscious of look, you know maintaining very Making strong eye sure, contact yeah. when I'm doing the move. Yeah. So as to apparently misdirect you. Yeah. But that creates so much right. tension. Yeah. Because people don't do that. Yeah. People don't like stare intently at you. Yeah. But also, it's more than that because it's just an empty stare because their attention is fully down the, here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, that's I loved in your explanation today. You were talking. I don't remember which trick it was, but you mentioned looking up and glancing upwards. And you said if you glance upwards, people are gonna look at your face. Yeah. More or less, that's what you said. And I thought that that was fascinating from a misdirection standpoint. Instead of like looking at something, what with that with that to me, this is kind of the thought process I have when you said that. Is if you're in the middle of a trick and you look up, that's like the universal thing of like remembering or thinking about something, right? Okay. So you're in the position of power as the magician and you look up like you're thinking or remembering. They are going to look to your face because you are now in a different place. They're going to look to you because they don't know what's happening. They don't know what's going on. They're looking to you for direction. So then when you come back down to them, then they re-engage. So they have stepped back out of the trick mm. when you look up and then come back into it when you're sort of back into it. That's why they look up at your face, I think. Right. It's because they're looking for your direction. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah. I didn't think of it being a symbol for thinking, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. Or recalling or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so disarming. Yeah. I thought it was really, really fascinating. Because I'd never... <coughs> I'd never thought about it or processed it as a as a use of misdirection but when you can take some when you can fully not even adjust their attention but adjust their engagement in the trick Mm -hmm. that's like another radical step of having somebody involved with your magic you know it's like if you can take them out of it and put them back into it or you know you're controlling their their uh you know you're you're building that that dramatic tension Mm mm-hmm you know, mm-hmm. it's like a delayed response. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a straight path to boom trick revelation. It's like here we're doing the, we're doing the trick, and then we step out of it a second, and now we're back in it, and we're, right. you know, we've now staggered that pacing, and the, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's a fun thing to play with. I thought that that moment today was very, it, it was very interesting for me. Just as a just as an exercise to apply to other magical things. Yeah, I um, have been playing around with it. Well, okay, it's not entirely the same, but it's related with the crosscut force. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I love that force because we should talk about it later. Okay, I mean we can talk about it now, but I mean we should do stuff with it later. Okay, I think so. The the sort of more respect that it, it gained a lot of respect from me when I. I don't know, I was performing at a party or something and these these guys like were hounding me. They were like, um, oh, you know, show us, can you just show me just one trick, how to do one trick? That's all I, all I want. And you know, they've been great audience and they'd hung around with me all night and it, it was um, right at the end. And I was like, yeah, of course, you know, I'll, I'll, I thought I would show you how to do cross cut force. Usually I don't teach anything, but um, usually the people aren't this persistent. So yeah. I was going to teach the crosscut force and I thought I would demonstrate it first. So I was like, this is going to be the trick and then I'll, if you want, I'll teach you how, how it's done. Yeah. And so I did the trick 
and they were totally blown away. Yeah. And I was like, okay, um, I'm just, maybe I won't teach it per se, but I'll just do it, you know, enough times and they'll, they'll get the thing. I ended up doing it five times and it, it like, it fooled them every single time. Yeah. And then I was like, I still taught them it, but I had this, yeah, click, perhaps you had a similar thing of like this, you know, this is actually a really good force. Yeah. Because clearly, Incredibly if you can do it five times in a row. Yeah. And I think the strong part of it is the time misdirection. Uh-huh. Is the cards are cut, or we just mark mark the cut, whatever, and then you again I find myself looking up when I when I do this this trick. So I l- look up for even just a second. Yeah. And then start talking about um yeah, like the you look up as if you're thinking about you're what recalling. you're about to say. Yeah. Or yeah, there's something on the tip of your tongue. And that is I th- yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It does sort of take people completely out of the context of whatever is going on. And then you're like... Now so, they're literally hanging on your word. Right. Yeah. Because it, it's a studied... When you look up, it's a studied collection of your words before you speak them so people are interested in what you're about to say. Yeah. 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 It's, wow. Fascinating stuff, hey. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. But the, yeah, that I had never really thought about that amazing. as much as like why it works. I I mean I'd been doing it for a while, but yeah, yeah, what you've said in these yeah like fifteen minutes or so, it's really collated it concisely into. I mean, thank you. Yeah, my my pleasure. Thank you for talking about it today. And then you come back and you have the yeah the image of like bringing that packet up, and I do this or I I do this thing like I lift up the top packet and then I'm like hover it over the top as if this is where they cut. And I'm like, and so it'd be difficult for me to tell exactly where you're going to cut. Would you take the card and have them take the card and then the that packet just goes square on top? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you do it. And I don't really know if that adds much, but perhaps there's something of an image that's remembered. Sure. And yeah, it's like every, oh yeah, it's a great, great force. Yeah, yeah. But we disregard it almost immediately. Like yeah. I learned it and then the next week I was like, well, I'm going to learn something else. Yeah. Or I need to learn, I should learn something else. It's one of those, <coughs> gosh, excuse me. Uh, it's it's one of those really beautiful, subtle techniques that's so simple. You teach it at the beginning, and then you come back around to it because you go, "Hey, there's this old thing that it was the first thing I ever learned," and you come back to it and you go, "Oh, now that I understand magic mm. a little better at least." Mm. Holy shit. <laughs> this That's thing it. is amazing. You know? Like, it's simple enough to do, but it takes a long time to understand and to get around wow. to, you know? And there, there's a couple techniques like that. I don't know if they are, but I, I feel that that's true. <laughs> I'll think of some probably. It's such... You know, I often wonder, like, the difference between having an interest in this, in magic, yeah, and an interest in anything else yeah. because this is it's just so rich uh-huh. the material and the thinking and the community and um, of course the community can be not so great at times but you just try not to associate with those yeah. areas of it yes but it, I mean probably a lot of you know I just I, I think a lot about the depth of um you know, other hobbies. Subcultures. 
yeah. Other subcultures. Yeah. Have you ever? Have you? Do you have experience of this with other like other things that you're as interested in as magic, or yeah. you were at a time? Yeah. Um, I know that. So my girlfriend is. Uh, she's like a. She's really big in the California coffee scene. Mm-hmm. And like this, you know, this whole third wave coffee boom that's happening happening out of here is really not that dissimilar from uh, from magic. And I talked about this with Jason Engel a little bit, <coughs> which is that you know every hobby has history. Every hobby has innovations that came before what you're doing now, and that influence what you're doing now. Uh, Every hobby has people that have strong opinions that bash heads against one another. Mm. You know? And so I've seen that in, 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 in her stuff. Uh, the other night, I was having drinks with her and one of her friends from here in San Diego. His name's Dave, and he's like... Um, oh, gosh. I can't remember the word for it, but it's like a sommelier for beer. You know, he's like a... Huh. a he, he's trained to teach people how to experience you know all these different kinds of crafts beers like you know what to smell for what to taste for what the history of the process is and you know why the things are this and that and the other thing and i was talking to him about uh you know uh, uh, making your palate mature you know like really enhancing your own experience of a drink or his food mm. or whatever and like really uh how do you train yourself for that and he's like i could tell you the sensations but those are meaningless if you don't have the history in the context and so he's like you know w- when i teach people how to taste things how to smell things you know i'm telling them about what they're tasting and smelling, why it smells that way and tastes that way, like what the chemistry of it is, where it came from in the world, this thing, that thing. And he, he's he's listing out all these different, um, uh, just all these different facets of this one uh, apparently simple thing, mm. you know, and, and how understanding the context of it makes for a richer experience. Uh, what was your question? No, that <laughs> makes me think... So I'm, you know, it's probably the case with a lot of things. Yeah. Then it's like on the surface it seems like, oh, you know, no, it, it's not very cultured. It's probably no community. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. And yet, yeah, over something at least as an outsider, so yeah, um, specific or seemingly, yeah. I don't want to say simple, but do you sort of get what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, unassuming, perhaps. Is sure. A word. Yeah. And it, yeah, and it sounds yeah. incredibly rich. And yeah, I think uh, you know, there's, I think probably just about anything, there are people who really nerd out about it. Yeah, you know, like our letterpress guy is like super cool dude, but he knows everything about paper, mm. and he's like a letterpress master. And most people in the world don't give a shit about paper, you know. So like. And there and and letterpress is another one of those things that is kind of community. It's not community based and oriented, but there is like, it's just a passion. You know, people have weird passions, and magic is ours. 
Yeah. Or one of ours. You know, style and fashion is another one of mine. Um, and there's obviously huge community. And there's different types of community, just like there are in the magic world. You've got the YouTube folk that are super, you know, into doing that. You've got the Instagram community. You've got actual magic clubs where people go and meet up and jam and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and then with, uh, what was I, what was the other thing? Clothing, style. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a different, there's like the, the online fashion bloggers that are all friends that go to like the Timex events in New York and they all hang out at, you know, the Thai bar and they do all the, you know, these cool things. And then you've got, you know, luxury fashion houses like Chanel and Hermes and, uh, Givenchy and you know all those things that are, that's kind of that supermodel click and then you've got you know the people that are building lifetime wearable pieces and they're sourcing all the different things from all the different places and it's kind of rustic and artisanal and you've got that group weird community sort of thing so it all kind of I think I think it's it's mirrored everywhere mm. and I think you know I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier uh where you can recognize when someone is really knowledgeable about something. They have a passion. You, right. It's mirrored. You know, like I said, it's sympathetic. We're really good at one thing. We can tell when other people are really good at it. It's, mm. it's that kind of sympathetic passion. Maybe. Yeah. I was going to say something. Um... Well, look, I, I could talk forever. You just tell me to stop and interrupt me. Okay. I mean, how are we going? We're doing good. People will have stopped, but we can keep talking. People will not have stopped. Um, what was I going to say? Okay. Yeah. So I think it's important to have more than just an interest in magic then. I don't know if you have this, but personally, if I'm like around magic for too long <laughs> in a time, or like people who are thinking that way, and I don't think you can be passively involved in some of the conversations. Like, you can't help but listen in and probably think about what they're talking about. And I don't know, at least me personally, it's difficult to zone out with those yeah. sorts of conversations. So if I've been around it for a long time, I kind of get a bit like burnt out or just, uh, yeah, just a bit exasperated with it. So <coughs> for me, reading is an incredible like antidote to that. It's yeah. like a tonic. It's a, uh, I'll go read for a couple of hours and it's on a, topic completely different to magic often fiction sometimes non-fiction but again a completely different topic sure and then like i have a even in like four hours an immediately renewed feeling towards magic huh That's do you fantastic. i uh <clears throat> i uh i do get burnt out talking about magic mm. but that's also because like that's my job. Mm -hmm. I, I talk about magic as a job and I have a podcast and you know, like, so when I'm out with friends, I want to talk about, uh, uh other stuff, mm. not necessarily magic. I want to talk about what we're doing or what they're doing in their lives. That isn't magic related. If they're magicians, <clears throat> uh, I very rarely session with anybody ever. Um, and I can tell my chops are not what they used to be. Really? But, yeah. You notice a decline? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also have noticed that I only ever do maybe four tricks. 
I can't remember right. any of the other stuff I've learned. I like I know moves and references, but like as far as when somebody's like do a trick, it's like okay, here's my ambitious card routine. Okay. And I, you know, and then they're like do another trick, and I'm like okay, here's a double lift color change. <laughs> like, I, I, I just I I I'm not, and I'm not proud of that <clears throat> by any means. I'm not I'm not saying that that's what people want to do, but like. Yeah, I just don't have the drive to, you know, learn new stuff. And I, I told you that in the car today. I was like, the last person's notes that I picked up that I was excited about were Ricky's. And then mm. now yours are out, and I'm interested in reading those and learning. Like, you were teaching the thing earlier, and I was over there doing the uh, Ascanio spread. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because I think that's a cool trick, you know? So. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I, I just don't. I get burned out. I do get burned mm. out talking about it. And uh, <clears throat> I don't... I recharge by watching really witty, dialogue-heavy television. Okay. Like Aaron Sorkin-type, The West Wing or The okay. Newsroom or that kind of that kind of thing. Or like a really dumb comedy movie, like something with Will Ferrell in it. Right. Which is very smart, I'm not saying, but I mean like it's that kind of <laughs> yeah, I know funny, goofy humor. Like my girlfriend and I watched uh, Austin Powers a couple okay. of weeks ago, and holy shit, that's maybe one of the best comedy films that's ever been made. It's the original Austin Powers. Yeah, it's just it's so good. Uh, so that that kind of stuff like lets me exhale, lets me just get out of magic for a little bit, and then and then I can come back into it the next day. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think that's important. Yeah. Actually. I, I've started reading... I've been reading nonfiction recently. Mm-hmm. What have you been reading? Um, mostly weird self-help books. <laughs> okay. Not like... It, but like, there's a book called Mastery, which is really good. Uh, I, I was rereading Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Okay. Um, I also was recently reading the Mr. Porter paperback. Huh. Which is great. Are you familiar with this? I've heard of this? Mr. Porter, yeah. Mr. Porter. This is their journal. So that it's called The Journal. It's their blog on their website, and they print things from the blog. Oh. And they, I th- Can I have a look? Yeah, I have three, I have three versions over here. Thank you. Uh, three editions, rather. They're great. They're yeah, this stuff great. is very cool, hey. It's all fun. It's all a little tongue-in-cheek, but it's meant to... It's called a, a Manual for Stylish Life, I believe. Yeah, the manual for a stylish life. So those are fun to read. You know, Wait, there are three lessons. issues. Yeah. Volumes, sorry. Uh, there may be more now, but I have three here. Huh. Uh, so I've been reading cool. fashion stuff. I, I, uh, I'm really energized by uh, thinking about fashion and how it relates to magic. Okay. And how magicians are bad at it. Yeah, <laughs> horrible. Yeah, <laughs> that's so. interesting though that you feel it comes back to me. It's nice just so. It's nice just having it as it is, you know. I agree. Yes. Do you think that's everyone's sort of in everyone's nature to try and blend their interests? Yeah. Like see how they relate. Okay. I think so. Because I. Uh, I do fashion for myself. Like I pick out the, I take time to pick out the clothes I wear every morning. Uh, 
and I enjoy dressing up. That's one of the many reasons I love going to the Magic Castle as often as I can. Mm. It's because I just like to wear a suit. And I look damn good in a suit. <laughs> and It does feel... I think it feels great. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Uh, I, I just I just really love that, that idea of dressing yourself as a way to communicate the person that you either want to be or you want people to perceive you to be or you're putting on a costume every day you wake up and you put on a costume mm. you know why not be somebody who's the best version of yourself whatever best is that's subjective but for me that's like you know clothes that fit properly and aren't appalling it is I think it is really refreshing especially over here in the US it's I personally don't think it's too difficult to like be just like up your style just a little bit yeah and in the US I think just a little bit and you immediately stand out yes as just a little bit more put together or something. <coughs> because I I would say and no offense but in the UK I yeah. think we're perhaps slightly better dressed than yeah than I would agree 100%. perhaps Europe altogether London is is Bristol is fantastic. London is really good as well. Yeah. I, I would say London's a bit more eclectic, so it would probably take it. New York is incredible. But also like some of the yeah, some of the Scandinavian countries have such a distinct style. Yeah. It's, it's stunning. I mean I'm uh kind of partial to it all as well. Yeah. Like yeah. It's fascinating to me too. Yes. Uh and I well, you know, the Scandinavian countries are so design centric anyway. Mm. Um, and that's all. That's all. Fashion is is just people design. I guess so. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But those places like you know London and Paris and Milan and New York are all real fashion hubs. Mm. L. A. Is not really no. one. I thought it was gonna be when I was coming out here. I was like, this is Hollywood. You know, this is this is the West Coast. This is where you know. <laughs> this was the fantasy of the fifties and sixties. All the beautiful people, and I got out here, and everybody looks like shit all the time. And I was like, oh, <sighs> this is awful. That's scathing. You can't say that. <laughs> not everybody, of course, but most <laughs> people. I mean, like, it's just. I guess it's because the weather is so nice. People are just There's definitely like, an LA look, though, isn't there? Like, yeah. Okay, so for a guy, it's like cap, definitely a cap. Um, one of those, I don't know how, what do you call them? The t-shirts where it's a long-sleeved shirt and yeah. it's like here is white and maybe like a is it a baseball a baseball jersey, right? Yeah, and or a baseball slub shirt kind of thing. Yeah, <clears throat> and yeah. You might have been in Hill in uh, West Hollywood. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Fine. And, uh, and again, I'm just, just making a I'm just generalization. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a, a, a Los Angeles look, mm. but there's also so many tourists. You know, it's hard to. Okay. It's kind of hard to pin down sometimes. And that's why that's why it's easy to say that New York and London and places like that are eclectic. It's because the people that live there are eclectic. But there's also like a ton of tourists. Yeah. Well, yeah, and a lot of yeah, a lot of people have moved there, basically. Yeah, basically. transplants. So that's the. That's what makes it up. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's all fascinating to me, and I do. I can't help but then bring it back to my my main passion, mm. you know, which is 
which is magic. Even okay, so let's just take okay, not not competition, but magic. I don't know someone performing at a wedding, for example. Okay, even just having your trousers hemmed, <laughs> yeah, like it it does it does a lot. It does, yeah, a whole lot. The sleeves, I think, a lot of people don't like. They are. I've seen plenty of people hem their trousers. Maybe they even taper the trousers, but like the the sleeve on their jacket is still like it's <coughs> too long. You know, most most regular dudes would wear a short jacket. You know, like whatever the size is, short. Like I wear a forty-two short, and I'm five ten. So yeah. Okay. I don't. So I just mean the cut of the sleeves is shorter than regular. Okay. So here in the states, you've got short, regular, long. Right. It's just the cut of the jacket. So I wear a short. So yes. everything's a little shorter. That okay. Way, that okay. way, I've got the proper break uh, between the shirt cuffs and the sleeve. Hmm. You know. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. So yeah, most 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 guys could wear a short. <clears throat> could or do. Could okay. ought to. Most okay. Most they, men who are wearing suits ought to wear the short version of the right. suit. Right. Right. <coughs> or otherwise, unless they're tall and they have short torsos, then you know you might need to adjust things in a weird way. But most guys who are getting stuff off the peg could go a size down and could go short. Hmm. I wonder what it is that because just in casual wear, yeah, America is it's not the best. No, it's not. Uh, I think it, a lot of it had to do with. You know, a lot of the working class, what is known as casual wear around the world now, was born in the U.S. out of the labor workers. Okay. And so, from that point on, it became about, like, making things more uh, able to be worn in any situation. So, like, jeans were, denim was a, a work pant, and then it became, like, a casual wear thing, and... Then there was like stretchy denim, and it's all about becoming more comfortable, just like America's getting fatter and fatter. Oh. <laughs> you know, uh, so, it, it, and you know, Giorgio Armani in the 90s, like late 80s, early 90s, came out with his basically leisure suits that were just like huge, billowy, gigantic things. And, you know, the whole world suffered through that for, you know, 12, 13 years. But it's all cyclical, you know. Uh, like in the aughts, the '60s came back in the style, slim, tapered, skin tight suits, skinny ties. Now we're back in we're in the the teens now, and the '70s are in style. So you've got the wider lapels, and you've got velvet and corduroy back back in style, and people are wearing turtlenecks again. You know, it's it's mm. it's, it's just cyclical. So next year the '80s will be back in, and we'll all be wearing polyester and neon colors. <clears throat> you know not next year next decade but anyway uh what was the question <laughs> why are you interviewing me I'm supposed to be asking you stuff yeah that's all part of the fun no I know this is the most like a real conversation I think the podcast has ever been oh is that bad no that's great okay I'm I'm, I'm loving it I'm happy with it because um, it does meander doesn't it it does real conversation meanders yes and that's okay I think that's okay. what makes it most interesting oh I was at the, there's this um, cafe called Hyperslow on Melrose do you know Hyperslow Hyperslow yeah 
Okay. No, I don't know. It's <clears throat> We went in and this older Asian lady had written a book and she was going to give a talk and she was just sort of um, rounding up support from some of the people who were just in the coffee shop. Yeah. And so, and we agreed to go over and we sat and um, listened to her talk for a little bit. There were like, I think there were six of us, including her, uh, seven of us, including her. Yeah. And um, so, you know, it was very, it was quite a quiet thing. It wasn't, I think it was a Sunday afternoon. It wasn't terribly busy or anything like that. Yeah. But, um, she, yeah, she starts talking and she is talking about spirit animals or not spirit animals, but the spirit and that's right. How perhaps a voice inside of your head would talk to you and tell you, uh, what you might, what you should do or guides you in life. Uh-huh. Um, and very spiritual. And that's what the book is about. It's about her life and how that has helped her out on numerous different occasions. And she was asking for input from the group and this guy to her right, this again, older guy, older than her probably, um, was, he, he started giving these really interesting points and he would go into this, you know, really fascinating story. And this woman would cut him off like, no, can you please stop, please? This is my talk. And like, you have an interesting story, I'm sure, but come on, I'm here. I'm the one doing the book. Yeah. Have you and awesome. How can... That was more interesting than what you were talking Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> because conversation meanders. Yeah, And it gets to really interesting places that you could never have predicted. No, but yeah. she was like, no, get back to this topic. Yeah. She sounded American. She didn't sound like that. <laughs> What were you doing? What stereotype of a British person were you doing? Uh, I, I don't know. Just maybe a little less. It's kind of thuggish. Kind yeah. Of British, uh, yeah. Stereotypical movie thug. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. No, definitely not that. Um, no, just not received pronunciation. A little <laughs> more colloquial, let's say. Okay. From which we... Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter. No Southwest. Southwest? No, probably. No. You were actually, born in the Southwest, I think it was, right? probably, it was probably closer to London. Yeah. yeah. Right. Did you see Kingsman? From London. Yeah. Uh, I did. I did. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I thought it wasn't bad. I mean, I don't know if I would watch it again. Have you seen it? Yes. Hello. You love it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was dressed very nicely, yes. Yes. And it was a cool premise. Yeah. All right, that's enough about that. (laughs) Well, so who were some of your influences when you were getting started? I mean, like, what's the what was the magic scene like where you grew up? You said there was a magic shop, but what was the Mm. scene like? Uh, Or was there one? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I didn't really do much in Plymouth. So yeah, Plymouth is in the southwest. It's on the coast, and it's about a four-hour drive to from from London. Which, okay, in US terms is nothing, right? It's just, oh yeah, I do that every day to go to work. <laughs> uh, but it was a special occasion for me to go up to London. So I joined a magic club up there called the Young Magicians Club, which, have you heard of the Magic Circle? Yes. Okay, so that's the, like, the club. It's kind of, maybe the parallel would be the Magic Castle in LA, but it's not, and it's not anywhere near the, like, the reputation that the castle has yeah, yeah. here <clears throat> and also the selectiveness and it's a different thing entirely but yes. if there was any like grasping 
power it's a secret lab. magic club in yeah, London. Yeah, yeah. That's the magic, magic circle in London. So, yeah, they have a youth initiative. You can't join in the magic circle until you're 18, so they have this youth club from the ages of 10 to 18, um, which you could join. And so that was the community that I was involved with when I was starting. So like 12 to, I think I, I think I left about 15 or 16, maybe 11 to 15. And then I didn't go again. But um, yeah, so I would visit twice a year maybe. Yeah. And in a way I think that was good because I would go and you'd have this day long mini convention, right? They, they had monthly meetings, but I would go to this one of them and I would learn so many things and then I would come away and wouldn't go to another meeting for six months. So I would just have to harken back to all of those things that I learned in that one day. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I read a lot of books as well, but the community itself was entire, yeah, entirely based in London. And MSN was starting to be a thing. <laughs> we would, I would, so I would connect with people through that and we would talk a little bit. Um, but yeah, in Plymouth, there really wasn't wasn't a scene, and I think that was maybe for the better. Not that I couldn't have probably progressed a lot quicker had there been a scene, but just the way I went about learning and then practicing, and I don't know. I think that was good for me. Yeah, yeah. I don't quite know why I was meticulous on like. I love for this the stuff to be really neat or not necessarily neat but just like soft so okay. like a lot of Asian people have really soft handling of the cards and I think it's so great it's like there's no effort in going into what, what's going on and they're doing incredibly difficult moves and I think I always wanted to emulate that and maybe that's but I don't know why I, I had that vision of wanting to be because and it kind of irks me but there are I know of one person very well who's very con- just content being it's, it's messy it's not neat like yeah. his card work is is technically getting to be more challenging it's intermediate or challenging but it's just like there's no desire to to make it neater yeah it just seems a bit sloppy and I I just <clears throat> can't can't quite get it like why wouldn't you want to make it look as nice as it could. Yeah. I yeah, I, like I feel uh, yeah. I feel that way too. And I I was I was inspired by Ricky and Dan and Dave who mm. do things so effortlessly, you know, and yeah. they were That's kind of that was my vision for what good was. <clears throat> um so when I would read all the, the Vernon books and Stars of Magic and stuff. When I was reading those effects, I was imagining everything that soft mm. and that subtle wow. and that smooth, you know, because that was what I had seen. Yeah. And I was like, well, those are the guys I want to be like. And then these are the masters. Obviously, the masters handled things like they do, mm. when in reality, no, they <laughs> probably didn't. Mm. Um, and so, like, that, that's kind of... It, it worked backwards. It's like I took these modern influences and applied their finesse to the masters of method and, and 
you know, performance in air quotes because, you know, most of them there's no video. There's only word of mouth. Right. But it's like, you know, I, I applied it to these guys have such great respect for, you know, the Vernons and the Bertrams and the Slidinis and all that stuff. So definitely it's got a they had to be better than these guys. So I wanna I wanna know my I wanna know my shit. Uh, so I to to be respected I have to be super soft and, and yeah and effortless and beautiful. And then it all just kind of coalesced in this this fascination with Spretzajera, with Shibumi, with the the idea of appearing to do things effortlessly regardless of how much effort is involved. Mm. You know? Uh and 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 that's really a sexy idea to me. Cause like what's I mean, that's what James Bond is, you know? Huh. Okay, he's go on. he's like he's like the ultimate he's like the he's like the antithesis of a tryhard. Okay. You know, in quotes, a tryhard. So somebody who's like very obviously trying to do well or trying mm. to get the girl or trying to you know, it's like what we were talking about when somebody's staring at you in the eyes so you don't look at their hands. That's yeah. a, that person's a tryhard. Yeah. It's like, you know, James Bond's like he never breaks a sweat. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah, totally. He's like the the physical embodiment of this effortless effectiveness kind of. I've never made that connection, but I think you that's a great. That's the I think that's the draw, you know. It's that's the that's that alpha male is like always in control, like Don Draper, Madman, like his persona always has the answer. He's always got the 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 big idea or the command on the situation and it's the same thing with James Bond and action scenes and getting the girl and that's how that's how I want my sleight of hand to be it's just like effortless and sexy you mm. know? <laughs> and I think yeah. you know uh, maybe we ought not get into this in the podcast but you can tell <laughs> Just like we were saying, uh, I don't, I don't want to. Well, like we were saying, you can tell. You don't have to. No, no, no. Like we were saying, you can tell. Well, no, I I don't. So I'm not going to. But I am going to finish my point. But we'll talk about it later. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, You can look at somebody and you can tell they know something about it. You can look at people and you can know if they're that kind of James Bond person. And it's like. It's like we were talking. It's like what we were talking about earlier with not being in a rush. Okay. It's like you have control over the situation. You left fifteen minutes early, so you will not feel rushed. Mm. So you are calm and collected, and cool under whatever pressure that may arise. Yeah. You can tell when people are comfortable, not in a not in a complacent way, but they like. They know what their surroundings are. They know who's around them. They they feel comfortable in the moment expressing themselves. They've got a handle on whatever's mm. happening. Yeah. It's that kind of it's all it's all the same thing, it's just in different forms, right? That's what I'm kind of that's I guess that's what my innards my soul if there is a thing, or my, my spirit or, you know, my whatever, that's what I'm attracted to. It's like control controlled elegance or effortless elegance I don't know okay yeah yeah 
Do you, when did you start magic? Uh, uh, gosh, what is it? Twenty sixteen? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Over over maybe like eleven years ago. Okay. Do you feel like it gave ago? you? Like, were you particularly confident before? No. Okay, and did it help with that or not? Uh, yes, a lot of th- a lot of different things helped with it. Okay, but magic was certainly one of the aspects. Yeah. Hmm. Fashion is actually what helped the most. Right. Yeah. I think it really does because you can. I mean, it completely changes how you feel about yourself. I would yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It'll change your posture too. You know. Right. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> the secret is to not attribute those feelings to an item of clothing, though. Right? Uh, yeah. Like, down the line. Yes. Initially, it's sure. a tremendous help. Yes. Yeah, yeah, But, yeah, well, it, it, you kind of evolve. Like, one of the reasons that I, I wore uh, nearly a suit or a suit to class every day in college. Wow. From my definitely from my sophomore to my senior year, I was wearing at least a jacket and a tie to class every day. How? Why? Uh, because one, because I wanted to. I just wanted to look good. I just like how I look in that. Mm. Uh, two, I wanted uh, to go into class and it like I wanted to be focused mm-hmm. and I feel like if I'm putting an effort in going to class by putting this on I'm going to be focused I'm going to take it more seriously and professionally right and it was also because like, I was I was doing a lot of stuff for Dana Dave while I was in college and it was it was a way for me to piece the two things together you know like I'm working at Dana Dave I'm studying a marketing degree this is a way for me to like be like I'm working right now mm-hmm. uh Three, it it was a confidence booster. You know, you go into class and there's all these people you don't know, and some of them are seniors and some of them are freshmen and junior. You know, whatever, whatever age you are, that was a way. Honestly, it was a way for me to go in and be like, I'm better than all of you. It was just a way for me to get in the mindset of like, I don't give a shit about what any of you think about me. I'm gonna come in here. I'm gonna nail this class, and I'm gonna look good while I do it. And you guys like. I'll never see you again after I graduate anyway. Mm. It was just a way for me to distance myself from the people in my class. Which, again, I told we talked about uni earlier. I didn't have a great experience and that right. may be one of the reasons. Is I didn't make a lot of friends. I wasn't interested in partying and having college, university experiences. Yeah. But <laughs> I was going to tell you this earlier too. When I was talking about who am I to say these things... I was I would go in class and I would be you know I, I would have been working for Dan and Dave and like actually talking to these huge ambassadors from huge companies and magazines and like I was doing real world stuff and mm-hmm. I'd be in these classes and this girl or this guy two or three seats down from me would raise their hand and ask this you know just completely inane question and I'd be like that guy is going to be fine. He's going to graduate. He's going to get a job. He's going to have a family. He's going to die just like the rest of us. If that's the question he asked, I'm going to be just fine. <laughs> Which, right? it sounds so pretentious, but it was one of those justifications for me. Like, what's, what's the worst that could happen? Mm-hmm. That guy is going to be happy. And if yeah. he's going to be happy, then I can be happy. 
That sounds like such a dick thing. But no. that's, you know. Oh. I don't... Th- I think... Like, any anything can help anyone. Yeah. And I think that perhaps... You, I don't think, would outwardly say those things. No, of course absolutely, not at all. I think it's... I think it's fine to think them because it helps, <laughs> you know. And I would never treat anybody the way that it sounds like I was <laughs> treating them in my head. Right. I was, I was always... I am very compassionate and very encouraging. But at the same time, like, sometimes somebody asks a really dumb question and I was just like, look, we're not yeah. on the same... We're not even in the same book. It's not that we're not on the same page. We're not even in the same book. So that's yeah. I so I had perhaps a okay. It's not entirely the same, but in the in the second year when I studied in America, yeah. the um, I think well, I don't know by some accident or whatever the classes I had been put in were a little different to the ones that would have been going on back in, had I stayed in the UK. Yeah. But consequently, a lot of the students were there of their own choice. Like they were. They had come back to school and they were, um, you know, pursuing postgrad stuff. Yeah. And, you know, they chose to be there. And so it was a lot more focused and a lot more. The work was, incre- I mean, I found it solid. It was very difficult. Yeah. But everybody was doing it. And so it's just like, you know, no one knows how it's done, but we're going to work together and we'll, we'll get Figure it. Because yeah. it, it's going to be in on Thursday. So <laughs> <laughs> you just do it. Yeah. And I wonder about that with the caliber of other universities. Like, they set the level, and then it's just like, our students simply must reach that level, or they just expect it. Yeah. And then the students reach it, of course. Yeah. Or, okay, some... Because that's the expectation. doesn't work, but... Yeah. The fact that the bar is there, or at that level, it's just like, for some of the other universities, maybe where the bar is a little lower, it's like that's what you're aspiring to yeah. and yes people will exceed it or whatever but if I I don't know I feel like I could have been pushed a bit more or I would have wanted to be pushed a bit more yeah or I mean I won't know but you know maybe even at the same caliber or whatever level that I came from secondary school if I was to be pushed further maybe just like yeah, sink or swim, like throw your hat. Yeah. And you just, everyone is expected to be that level, so you, yeah, of course you're going to get that level. Yeah. You will. Well, that's, you know, that's that's something that I think magic desperately needs, is that there, there's not really a standard. No. Well, the average is mediocre. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's not a lot of... Um, reward for the barrier to entry is incredibly low yep. you can go to a magic shop and buy a trick and an hour later you're performing magic or you're doing a magic trick. you're not doing magic you're doing a magic trick yeah but still to a lay person perhaps it's a little difference they don't know the difference between That's a mediocre it. magician and someone who bought a trick an hour ago I don't maybe there's not that much difference between someone who's been doing it for 10 years or whatever and clearly cares about what they're doing yes there's a difference yeah and they an audience member can tell that but of course most people yeah I guess just haven't seen magic well, sorry haven't seen good magic yeah. yeah or 
Yeah, maybe no. I take it back. Maybe most people have just haven't seen Magic. Well, not even. Well, yes, that's that's true. But also, they don't. They have there. There's no like objective. There, there's not a you know a Golden Globes. There's not an Academy Award for okay. Magic. Hmm. You know, like there's that's for film and television. But there, there's like the Tony Awards for theater productions. There are artistic awards that award merit to a performer or performance, right? <coughs> there isn't that that means anything and that any layperson can access and understand in the magic community. Maybe it's more than that, I, though. I don't know if it would be entirely, you know, down to a an awards body. Sure, I don't yeah, I don't think that that's good. But what you said about objective um yeah, standard of When when anyone can advertise themselves as a master magician to mm. work your wedding party or whatever. <laughs> like yeah. That hurts magic, you know. They're like to be a master sommelier, there's like hundreds and thousands of hours of very specific training and study and testing that you have to do to be awarded by like a like a master organization mm. that certifies that kind of title okay and there's yeah. nothing like that in, in our community you know if we if we're you know the joke is magic is the second oldest profession the first one is prostitution, right? Uh, oh. So, why is that funny? Why is what funny? You said the joke is the joke is prostitution is the oldest. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's not a joke, but oh, it's okay. funny because it's like <laughs> Sorry. Oh, prostitution's the oldest. Time. Anyway, um, I didn't know if I was missing something. My bad. No, uh, you know, for being the oldest, one of the oldest things people did to one another. You would think we would have a body that goes, this is good and this is not good. You can do this, you cannot do that. Right. You're not allowed to call yourself that. I can't put Esquire on my business card because I don't have a law degree. That is illegal in some states. Right. Yeah, I've I've heard that. So shouldn't it be illegal for some douchebag to call himself a master magician if he's not one? Very interesting. You know? So true. I'm just putting it out there. It's not like I can but do people, anything about it. I mean, what if someone was to put like master painter? Yeah, <laughs> close. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> on a business card and hand that out. Yeah. Is it the same? Uh, I think at that point it gets really meta. Okay. Right, because because painting is like. I was talking about this with Simon Cornell not long ago, is that you can't really be meta in magic unless you're performing for magicians. Right? You can't really... It's hard to do meta magic for lay people. But you can do meta art. You can do meta sculpture. You can do meta paintings. So, like, to call yourself a master painter and you've been painting for, like, six weeks, that's kind of meta. No one is going to look at your art, though, and go, yeah, that's... You're a master unless you are though whereas in magic people just aren't educated and they don't know they haven't seen they haven't been told I think they would probably watch this guy 
and be like, you know, you're not a master, are you? <laughs> they would go, that's not very good, but he said he's a master. And if that's if he's a master, then magic sucks. Maybe. I can see that too. You know. Because you also see David Blaine on TV and people compare like the kid that does tricks at the wedding to David Blaine. David Blaine's doing real stuff. He's really swallowing frogs and regurgitating them. He's really swallowing a coat hanger. You know, he's apparently really reading people's minds. The stuff that he does looks like real magic. And then the kid's doing twisting the aces and tricks and stuff. Right. And they, they look at the two and they go, well, David Blaine's really a master, but he's not doing the same thing that guy's doing mm. and if that guy's a master magician David Blaine's a different thing mm. you know because I don't I don't know that the public considers those two things to even be similar or maybe they do maybe maybe they look at it and they go it's all magic and it's all just tricks and they don't give a shit I don't know if you've discussed this topic before but it's maybe kind of controversial the question like why aren't there many girls in magic have you discussed this before uh not with a guy okay i don't think on the podcast no who did you i talked to uh amberlyn walker she is a magic consultant and half of the duo comedy daredevil she's got a show with her fiance ryan stock at hooters in las vegas okay they're great um do you have any thoughts though why there aren't more ladies in the magic community Uh, because it's a boys club it's uh, inherently secretive and a lot of the people that hold the secrets at this point are old dudes that are scared of vaginas wow yeah do you think I I spoke with Tony about it and Tony Chang great and he sort of posited that maybe it's just because like you don't need it initially well okay so let me go into that um like perhaps guys who aren't don't have like an adonis figure or aren't stunningly good looking now have a or not now but also have other ways of of getting you know to meet girls and yeah attract yeah. Someone. Because I think guys are very shallow in that, you know, looks are a big part of what we are interested in. I mean, the personality, sure. of course, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I yeah. think at the top of the list is probably yeah. looks. Whereas for girls, I think it's probably more like maybe, I don't know, being funny or having something perhaps more of personality driven traits. Yeah. And. So Tony posited that perhaps they just, you know, girls just don't don't need a a crutch like guys gimmick do. Or, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's certainly an interesting thought experiment. I don't know that I agree with it just because I think just generally women have a lot more uh, self confidence issues than men do. Uh, okay. Just <clears throat> I think I would. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you know. um, Sure, they, you know, most women, practically all women, can just go outside and find, you know, 10 to 100 people that would just 
you know, drop their pants for him. Right. So yeah, they're not looking for a partner necessarily or 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 you know, that kind of friendship necessarily that guys are and going, "Hey, let me show you a trick." But I think as far as a confidence building uh, exercise, I think it's just as valuable for women as it is for men. If mm-hmm. you're going out and performing for people you don't know, you know. Whereas I didn't, I didn't use it as a tool to get friends. Sure, you know, no. some people might. I think probably some, a lot of course, of would. sure, some people would, and I'm, I'm sure many people have. But that's not why I did it, and I can okay. really only speak to my experiences. I didn't do it for that. Uh, and I, I I wouldn't imagine... Of course, some women could and would and should and whatever. But I, 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 I mean... I think what Tony said is interesting, but I, I also just really think that magic is a boys' club and that women aren't taken seriously. Hmm. And, you know, it might also be that when... Girls come into the magic community. Ladies, women come into the magic community. They're treated like porcelain dolls. You know, like yeah. they they come in and they do magic tricks, and guys are like, "Oh my god, you can do a double lift, or you can do a, a fancy one handed cut, or you can do this or that. You're amazing. You're doing everything great. I'm so happy for you." And Accents you know, me, yeah. there's <laughs> there's a there's a lot of like. You know, quote unquote, ball busting amongst guys like, oh, flash, you know, I, your past sounds great, you know, things like that <laughs> to push people forward. But when women come in because they are so scarce, it's kind of like, uh, protect the ego, protect the thing so they don't want to leave. Okay. They don't want to get scared away. Huh. You know? So and then there's met- not as wow. much growth, right? Because. I, so I read, I, so all of the, I, this is not. This is not original to me. I got this from Alan Hagen's girlfriend. She wrote a guest post on his blog okay. about being a female magician. And mm-hmm. I so this part right here, which I'd never thought about, but I agree with, is what she posited in the blog. That's very yeah, that's what did she extrapolate it a bit more? Yeah. Like she, did she go on to say Yeah. She said, No, do that, basically, to guys. Okay. But did she go on to say that then how that might affect the caliber of people who do choose to stay? girls who do choose to stay in magic. yeah they they aren't pushed to grow because they're told every right. day that they're great that they're doing well you know? will houston who i believe you've also had on there i have he said and i don't know if he mentioned this while he was over he said that perhaps in the history of the world whatever the heroic figures have always been male like wizards yes and, uh, okay wizards whereas sure. Female, female characters have always been sort of very negative light. They've been villains. So, yeah, like a temptress or a witch. Or succubus. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if that has any bearing. But it was still an interesting thread. No, I I think that's... I think that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... And that just goes into institutionalized and systematic sexism that's just rampant amongst society. Mm-hmm. But as far as specifically the magic community is concerned, I don't think... I, I think it's from within rather than from without. Okay. The problem with not women not being in magic. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't think it's society's uh, views of women in magic that are keeping women out of it. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's magicians either not wanting to share because they're old and don't think women are good enough or don't think they can do it because they have small minds or they're people who come in and are super welcoming and encouraging which I have, I am guilty of this I am guilty of being the guy that's like that's great yeah I'm happy to help you out you know you're doing great I'm really you know being very encouraging but not then also doing the ball busting doing okay. the and I don't even really like that term because it's inherently genital related <laughs> uh, but you know doing that kind of that that uh, uh, friendly put down kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, well, just honest. Like, yeah, I, you're going to be better if you do this. So do this. Yeah, and and I'm happy to do that. I do that with man, woman, child, old person, whatever. Okay. Uh, but but that it, you kind of have to you you have oh, to be so equal. The challenge aspect of like, hey, you know, yes, it technically works the move you're doing, but it looks awful yeah i can i can say i can say you know what you did worked but here's a better method here's why it's better here's a better way to do it and i can go over all that and i have in the past Mm. what i can't what i haven't done which i think we ought to be more open to doing and i just think it just needs to be a dialogue you know amongst the men and the women in the community (laughs) that are active is like hey it's okay if you bust our chops we're we're game for it. We signed up for this. We want to be a part of the community. You know, just the, that kind of everybody's on the same page, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's that's not the way that I do. I'll do that with friends or with some random dude who does a <laughs> shitty, you know, double lift. I'll be like, hey man, that sucks. That's really good. But I like won't. Shit. But yeah. But I <laughs> but I wouldn't do that too. A woman. Okay. I wouldn't do that to a female magician. For several reasons, one of which is I don't want to appear misogynist. And and yeah. that that's like an inherent trap because yeah. that's not why I'm saying it. But, you know, if someone has been told by everyone around them that they're great and then some guy's like, hey, that sucks, who are they going to believe? The people that said it was great or the one dude they've never met that... They don't know anything about huh. the set that sucks. Maybe. You know, so it's like this weird quagmire of is yeah. it okay to say this or is it not for one reason or the other. So I think it's very complicated. I think that's why there aren't women in magic because it's not easy. No. Whereas guys are readily accepted. Kids are readily... Male kids are readily accepted. But female kids and adults... It's just it's just harder for them because we don't know how to deal with it. There's this amazing card magician from Spain called Sarah, and oh, I've seen a video of her doing uh, Pharaoh Shop. Yeah, right. Holy shit, I she did a is phenomenal. Just on Instagram, and she won, and yeah. it was. I mean, yeah, it was fantastic. It was beautiful yeah. to watch, and it was yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, she doesn't. But yeah, very old either. Like I don't know, fifteen, sixteen, something like that. Yeah. But it's cool. And again, probably the Spanish school, or whatever, helps out with, with yeah. that because it's, <laughs> it's amazing. they're remarkable. Yes. Yeah. It's just so, and also I just want to say if there mm-hmm. are any female listeners to this podcast, please email me <laughs> at podcast at artofmagic dot com and let me know if 
just just tell me your thoughts. Like, yeah, that would tell be me I'm full of shit or that I'm in the ballpark or whatever. But just let me know. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> man. If you have valuable things to say, then please send it to me. If you think girls are dumb, I don't want to hear from you, and I don't want you to listen to the podcast. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, I was fascinated by how. Meeting someone who's been doing magic for two years, in Spain at least. Yeah. I, having done magic for ten years at the time, was like, we were able to speak about theory, and I thought that he had been doing it for long, I thought he'd been doing magic. Like, the way he was talking about the theory of magic was like, he's clearly been doing it for maybe about the same time as me, perhaps a little longer. No, two years. So, like, technically, perhaps there's some way to go, but... Just, I think that's, fa- that's. It seems like they've got though, some kind of structure really down to like really educate people in magic. Yeah, and perhaps they just talk about theory more. That was a definite like. I went to Madrid a couple of months ago, just before, just before coming here. Yeah, and that was a definite push of like when I was giving a workshop, they were interested in hearing about the theory, or my friend said to yeah give some real time to talk about the theory and maybe that's it maybe it's a much larger it's just a much larger part of how they learn over there uh-huh. and so because in the UK it's pretty much non-existent I think like talking about the theory of what do you think the focus is in the UK um ah, sad to say but probably like practical or workable or um yeah practical in inverted commas like going out to do it at a gig instant reset yeah um, <laughs> blah 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 can I less have magic more card? trick um yeah well yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's super general but um yeah and I think it doesn't yeah it doesn't I think extend very much beyond that there are some cool pockets where we really talk about um, technical stuff, and it is very technical. Yeah. But um, what I like about New York is it's very heavily that scene seems very heavily technical and very theoretical as well. Yeah, they have a lot of time for that. Over in LA, or West Coast seems a bit more performance based or driven. Because <laughs> yeah, it's Hollywood. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, <coughs> But yeah, Spain seems to have struck a balance. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's a perfect storm. A lot of stuff coming out of there is incredible, so. Uh, Did you get to meet Kika? No, I didn't get to meet Kika. I heard he's phenomenal. It's very, yeah, he's he's great. It's, yeah, it's beautiful stuff. Um, So we've been doing 2.15. Okay, so we should finish? Yeah, do you want to finish? I feel like Dave is getting antsy. Um, this has been great. Uh, it's been thoroughly unlike any other podcast episode. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, not in a bad better way. or worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm happy with it. I had a lot of fun. Thank um, you for having me. So I'm just going to ask you a couple of quick questions. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is the speed round. Okay. Uh, how do you know when something is good? Uh, I meant to answer quickly as well, right? No, you can take as long as you want. The questions are short, though. When, usually, when I 
have to ask to see it as opposed to being like as opposed to someone just saying like hey can I show you a trick straight like in a meetup or something the people who are usually like a little quieter I think are probably the better ones uh-huh. I know that that sort of sidesteps the question okay so how do I okay I'll try and answer the question how do I mean for yourself like when you're working good. on something how do you know something oh, is good oh I thought you meant like when someone is showing me a trick or something and then well it's kind of the same it's it's not yeah it's kind of the same thing okay um <clears throat> so what makes good magic you're saying yeah <sighs> wow that's a tough that's a tough speed question, line. Elliot. yeah <laughs> um I think if it creates a connection yeah. with the audience and if it's enjoyable and some sense of relax. I think I like the word relax in conjunction with magic. Um, yeah, there's got to be a connection because like, so I think the definition of magic is perhaps a little skewed in that magic does exist and perhaps we're just looking at a little wrong. So, Magic can't exist without a magician, of course. You need the performer. But also doesn't exist without the audience. Yeah. And the magic is the interaction between those two. Because that's a very real connection. Or it can be a very real connection. Yeah. And I think that is... that That's magic. And that happens all the time. That's, of course, real. Yeah, yeah. It's not like I snap and the card comes to the top. It's... Yeah, the, the ideas that you share and the things that you learn about one another. So it's like, an, I, I sort of think of it maybe like a heightened or accelerated form of conversation. Like you can have 20 minutes of small talk with someone or you can do one card trick and then actually seemingly... Okay, you mimic rapport initially, but the end goal is good conversation, I think. Yeah, that's fascinating. It was a very rambly answer. No, me. it was great. It was great. Uh, well, there's really only two. And the other one is... Uh, when was the last time you were fooled the hardest? Hmm. Or the time that you were fooled the hardest? Yeah. Um, it was quite... No, no, the last time was I went to a convention in Sweden and Magic Weekend. Have you heard of it? No. Okay. And there was this... Uh, forgive me, I can't think of his name. I think he was from Korea. And he did this sand act on stage. And it was absolutely phenomenal. So he... Have you... have you, Does this ring any bells? Have you seen anything no. like it? Okay, I think he did FISM a couple of years ago. Maybe last year or something. But he... Um, yeah. So what it is, is he's pouring sand from his... He, he has a completely empty hand. And it's lit beautifully on, on stage. So yeah. you see all of the grains of sand and it's all... It's, yeah, it's stunning. So he... Empty hand, and then he closes a fist, and then starts pouring, and sand pours like the infinite salt pour from his yeah. from his hand. And then he grabs the s- sand here, so it's falling from one hand down into his other hand, and then down to the floor in a straight line. And then he just gradually moves his lower hand over to the side, and the salt is the uh, the sand is falling down here, and then to one, you know visually, it's it just is pouring, but it's going nowhere. It's just vanished, and is continuing pouring out of this. What? So you have this come here, and then it continues here, but there's like there's no space between. And that's amazing. On top of that, he then starts to he pours salt from hand to hand, and then he moves the hands like this, and the salt starts the sand. It's not salt. The sand starts to bend, 
Yeah. So it's like it's pouring, but it's going in an arc somehow. Yeah. And then he gets to about here, and you notice that it's sort of um, rainbow shaped. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's like here, and and it's actually like he's producing a linking ring, and he's like it's a gradual production of the linking ring, and he moves his hand all the way around, and then he's produced this entire from no, from nothing. Like what? his hands are here, and then he just bit by bit produces this linking ring, and it's solid, and it was. And then he vanishes it the same way, like both of his hands together at the bottom of it, and they move around, and it's vanishing, it's vanishing, it's vanishing, and then it's gone, and there's this massive like of sand, and yeah, it's totally holy cow. Standing ovation, it was, yeah, it was great. That sounds amazing. Oh my god, I just saw the most amazing card manipulation act, Magic Live. Right. It was the the closing show, and this guy did car manipulations to this beautiful music and it was like set around spring and it was like producing flowers like all the cards were green and pink and it was flowers and trees and stuff Mm. and he i mean i have never seen such be it was slow it was soft it was beautiful it was effortless but i swear to god his hands were empty and he was producing cards from thin air it was amazing so that kind of made me that just made me think of that but well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for for doing it. No, of, of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, safe trip home back to England. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, everybody look forward to Alex's upcoming release on Heart of Magic. Yeah, it's going to be great. It is great. It is great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>